Well, welcome everyone to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host with the most. Tony Lighting. And uh, I thought I thought we would uh, go in one direction this week. Um, matter of fact, most of the week uh, leading up to today, I was leaning heavily toward one direction. And uh, it, it's a topic that that I find kind of interesting and we'll probably visit it again because we're not going to be actually talking about that today and I'm not going to tell you what it is. So uh, maybe next week we'll see. But um, I, I didn't feel a hundred percent committed to it, but I kind of felt like there was something else that we needed to take a look at, but I wasn't sure what that is. And so even as late as or early as three o'clock this morning, I still really wasn't sure. Um, and so I kind of put the question out there, what am I teaching or talking about uh, for Nerd Unscripted? And it came back, you'll find out when you wake up in the morning. I'm like, great. So when I woke up this morning, I said, all right, what's the topic? Kind of need to know. And immediately it popped into my head that today we were going to talk about fantasy creatures and um i think it's kind of a fun topic uh to discuss just because of some of the other shows that we've had like on archetypes and stuff like that because i see fantasy creatures as fitting in there and um the thing that's most curious to me about it is how like the archetypes that we looked at in the past, um, they exist in every culture, every, you know, people group, uh, have different kinds of fantasy characters. And very often a lot of the same fantasy characters with different names. And this is a, a topic that has fascinated me for a long time. I've done a lot of research in it because of some of the writing that I'm doing. Um, but like, for example, fairies, right? Um, you think about fairies and, you know, perhaps your idea that pops into mind or the picture that pops into mind whenever you hear the word fairy is uh, thinking from a fantasy character perspective. I guess I should qualify that. Um, it's probably like this, you know, tiny little nymph Tinkerbell kind of thing, you know, with wings flitting around and fairy dust and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's fine. Um, I kind of see them as that perhaps, but you know, little people more. Um, but the thing to me that's most fascinating, and we're going to dig into this a lot deeper, but the, to me, the thing that's most fascinating about fantasy creatures is how they came from somewhere. The belief of them or the discussion about them came from somewhere and not you could argue that some of them have their origins in fairy tales, uh, in folk legends, those kinds of things. And I'm sure that there's some truth to that. Uh, you could argue that they are reflections of the different parts of our human psyche. And I can see some truth to that. Um, or you could also argue that they're real. And I can see that too. Uh, the one about the real part, like, I can't say that I've ever seen a fairy or for that matter, a leprechaun or, you know, fill in the blank, um, or Bigfoot for that matter, <laughs> I guess. But just because I haven't seen one or you haven't seen one, or it seems implausible that they even exist, doesn't mean they don't exist. Okay. Um, your personal experience has very little bearing on whether they exist or not. Um, same with me. Um, because there are people through time who have claimed to see leprechauns, fairies, Bigfoot, so on and so forth. I mean, hell, we could probably uh, group uh, aliens into that, you know, for all intents and purposes. Or, or anything else that we've never necessarily seen, you know. Um like the Loch Ness Monster. And uh, so I find it extremely uh, fascinating just because 
there is so much of it that abounds. You know, like you hear talk uh, and read stories in different cultures about dragons. And, of course, they play a part in television shows today, like Game of Thrones. Um, they take on a lot of different forms. It's one of my favorite mythical creatures, if you will. Because um, I have a bunch of them, many of them hand-sculpted. But yet there is, has been very little, if any, physical evidence that proves that dragons even existed. So the uh, stories that have been passed down that include dragons, were they dragons or was it just, you know, Neanderthals trying to come to grips with dinosaurs, you know, which technically Neanderthals didn't even live during the time of dinosaurs. Um, you know, they're a couple hundred thousand years ago. Dinosaurs are 65 to a hundred million years ago. So, you know, there's a disconnect there. Um, so where, where on earth did all this stuff come from? Like, why are fairies even a thing? Why are trolls even a thing? Or, um, you know, Bigfoot and Yetis? Why is that even a thing? Especially today, we're so sophisticated and we have technology and, you know, everybody's got a camera in their pocket now. So you could shoot photos and video and all of that. But yet we're still not seeing any real proof yet these mystical creatures, these fantasy characters, still persist. Persist in our stories, persist in our belief systems, persist in our entertainment. Uh, and for that reason, it has my attention. Um, now, contrary to what you may think, I don't just take a hard, fast approach to err on the side of just believing everything. Um, but I do believe in giving things a fair chance. Um, it's just like past discussions that we've had where, you know, you talk about his history and things that took place. And I mean like distant history, not like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And the reality is, and and we have entire belief systems built around um, events that may or may not have taken place. But the reality is, I wasn't there. You know, and so because I wasn't there, I can't like... I can't say with certainty that Muhammad or Buddha or Jesus or any of them were really there, even though there are records that kind of show that I wasn't there. So I, you know, they lived their entire lives. I wasn't there. So I can't say that didn't happen because just because there's no physical proof, Jesus didn't exist, even though there is some that could be construed that way. Um, but I also can't say that, the dude said it this way or did it that way or whatever, because I wasn't there. Neither were you, um, at least in our current form, maybe, you know, in a reincarnated form, we were there. Who knows? But um, but does that mean that then Jesus didn't exist and what we see in the Bible isn't true? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, but if you take that gauge, that ruler, and you apply it to other things, vampires, werewolves. Bigfoot, aliens, fairies, <laughs> you know, why is, would it be then that if we can believe that Jesus is real or that the, the Buddha is real or did actually live or that Muhammad did actually live and do the things that's been claimed, if we use the scale to um, make determinations regarding the uh, religious prophets, that have existed, then why wouldn't we use the same uh, scale on some of these other creatures? Now, it's not to say that I'm here to tell you that Santa Claus really does exist, <laughs> you know, or that there really is an Easter bunny. That's not the discussion at all. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. And I'm not trying to say that fairies are just as real as Jesus is, because I don't want to diminish one thing over another. But my point is that logically, very often we will justify one thing away uh, using a certain set of rules and then uh, something else that we have just as much proof of or whatever, or lack of proof 
Um, that's real. Okay. So my proposal in today's discussion is what if it's all true? You know, all of it. Uh, because the reality is we weren't there. Just because you didn't see a fairy doesn't mean they don't exist. You never saw Jesus, but yet you may believe he existed, right? So that's my point with that. Um, and I'm certainly not, again, putting fairies on the same level as Jesus here. Please don't misunderstand my point. Now, so if they did exist or do exist or don't, um, what does that mean for us? Like, why do we even need to have the conversation about fantasy creatures? Why do they keep showing up? I, I do believe that some of it comes from our own, uh, our own attempts at coming to terms and grips with understanding things that are going on around us, things that we can't necessarily explain. In other words, they provide context for us in some ways. Now, fairies could very well exist. I mean, who knows? I just, again, because we haven't seen them don't mean they don't. But whenever you think about um, some of the fairy tales and the myths and all of that, sometimes they are meant solely just to teach us lessons. Um, and most of the time, those lessons exist because they exist within us. You know, there are things that we need to learn. And um, it's easier to communicate um, a hard truth, so to speak, uh, in the form of allegory than just say, you need to get your shit together. You know, that kind of a thing. You know, the whole spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down kind of uh, mentality. And so I think there is some of that. I, I know in Native American cultures, um, you know, there's a lot of different stories um, that communicate truths to children and adults um, in a way that makes it more palatable or easy to wrap our heads around or to provide context or whatever to learn those lessons. Um, but yet, by the same token, there's still these, for lack of a better way of describing them, fantasy characters that persist in every culture. A great example going back to fairies, is little people. Um, every single culture has little people in some form or another. They take on a lot of different names, a lot of different forms, um, and in some cases it even depends on the context, like whether they're in water or on the land or, you know, whatever the case may be. But where's that coming from? You know, why little people? Why, you know, these little things, I mean, the Cherokee, you know, my mom's family, part of that heritage is Cherokee. And, uh, of course, the Cherokee actually called little people little people. In English transliteration, it means little people. And, um, you know, very often you'll see how little people are a little bit like um, tricksters, I guess, perhaps, in that... You know, they try to um, trick people, haha, -ha, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better way of being obvious. Um, but they're also magical. Um, most of the time, little people will come to the rescue of humans, um, you know, those types of things. And I find that extremely fascinating. There's also very often giants, you know, and... Uh, of course, there have been supposed discoveries of real giants, you know, where they found skulls or uh, bones and all of that of, of uh, humanoid beings that are 8, 10, 12 feet tall. And uh, very often in mounds, they found them, you know, around the world. And, of course, you have the stories and, you know, all of that. So... For me to just say, oh, well, that's just all fantasy. I can't believe in that. Um, is a bit too dismissive, you know. Uh, but I'm also not going to base my life on, you know, the pursuit of 
characters that may or may not live. I mean, there's a lot of people who have uh, seen and, you know, claim to have evidence regarding Bigfoot. And I'm as much a Bigfoot fan as anybody. Um, never saw Bigfoot, never saw Yeti uh, or anything like that. But honestly, it's not that difficult for me to believe that there is such a thing as Bigfoot. Uh, because the reality is there's a lot of square footage, square miles on this planet that we just are completely unaware of. That, you know, cave systems and all of that, it'd be really um, easy for something like that to hide. Same with the ocean, you know. Um, some claim mermaids and, you know, are a real thing. Uh, and others just say that they're fantasy creatures. But we haven't even come close to exploring the ocean. So the way I see it is that we just don't know for sure. Um, and it's a bit egocentric to think that we're it, you know, and, um, and a bit sad actually uh, to think that there could not be magical characters or creatures uh, that exist around us. I mean, in some ways you could say angels are on the same plane. But what makes me wonder is, uh, and this is kind of where I land on a lot of this, is um, the whole idea of whisper down the row, which I'm sure you all know what that is, where you have a, a line of people and at one end somebody whispers something to the person next to them and then they whisper to their to the person next to them and so on until it goes the whole way down the row. And then the person at the end of the row says what they were told and what they remember. And then you compare the two and they're almost never alike. And sometimes they're extremely different. Um, and it, of course, depending on how many uh, people are in that row. And sometimes I, I think that, there is a, a level of legitimacy to certain types of, of fantasy characters, but that has been distorted over time um, because oral traditions uh, were much more so a thing. Um, you know, the further back in time you go before written language and even with written language, um, instead of stories being written down, they were told. And, um, of course, through time, that's going to get distorted. It's going to be adjusted for perhaps political motivation or religious motivation or whatever. Stories get adapted. They get changed and so on. And so you have a normal event that occurs that is anything other than fantasy. I mean, it's, you know, it's just a normal, boring event. And... Uh, over time, over hundreds, thousands of years, it turns into this mythical thing that involves, you know, embellishment and <laughs> everything else to turn into something crazy. And then some of the fantasy characters that we see literally are just born through telling stories to children, you know, fairy tales and some of those kinds of things. And they don't necessarily have any bearing at all. But I, again, I don't think that even with that, with folk tales and fairy tales and myths and legends and all of that, there's always a seed of truth that's in those uh, in some form or another, either for the lesson being taught through the allegory or in the reality of something that somebody saw. Now, it's not to say that they weren't smoking something funny, <laughs> okay? Or maybe they weren't. Um, but the reality is, we don't know everything about everything. We can't explain everything about everything. And, I mean, you know, just to throw the alien card into the equation, we don't know what the hell is coming to this planet or that has existed here in the past. You know, whether it's recent past or distant past, we don't know. You know, we weren't here. You think about um, the dinosaurs. We think we know a lot about dinosaurs based on the fossils that we find and stuff. We don't know crap about dinosaurs. I mean, it changes constantly, and there's been thousands and thousands of different types of dinosaurs discovered. 
And so we've legitimized them to the point where they really did exist because we have this proof, these bones. But did they really exist? You know, we weren't there. We didn't live 100 million years ago, 65 million years ago at the height of the Jurassic period. Like, we weren't there. So we can't say for sure that they really existed. And I would like to think that just because there isn't necessarily a fossil record of everything doesn't mean something didn't exist. What if the fairies really did exist at the same time that the dinosaurs did and we mistook their fossils? If they even had, you know, type of body that would leave a fossil behind. It takes extraordinary circumstances to create fossils. You know, um, you find these trilobite fossils that are 200 million years old. I mean, think about that. 200 million years. I've been on the planet for 56, like total, <laughs> 56 years. So in the grand scheme of our lifetimes, you know, and, and even in the grand scheme of, say, let's say the reincarnation really is a thing, and we've lived 100 lifetimes uh, on an average age of 80, which probably would be less the further back in time you go, just because of lack of medicine and stuff. But let's say 80, and we lived 100 lifetimes, that's 80,000 years. If we, you know, died, born, died, born, died, born, 80,000 years. You could even spread it out over time and call it 100,000 years or 200,000 years or whatever, right? So 200,000 years, let's say we've gone through multiple iterations to get us to here today. So within that, 100,000 years, 200,000 years, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of years that you have these other creatures that were on the planet, dinosaurs and all of that, right? So it's definitely believable that some of these characters, these fantasy creatures, really did exist. We may not be able to explain them. We may not be able to justify them. Um, but, you know, you have whisper down the row stories of real portals. And, you know, in different areas, vortexes and all this kind of stuff. And there is something weird about them. And they say, oh, yeah, this is a portal in Peru. And it's like solid rock with an indent that goes back. It's like, how the hell is that a portal? You know, it's rock, but yet the claims are that people walk through them and time travel and distance travel and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, like if I go down there today and walk up to that rock and, you know, take a step forward, I'm going to end up with a sore nose, you know, most likely. But yet there are holy men in that region that will absolutely tell you that it's a for real portal. Okay, and so if portals exist and vortexes exist, what came through them? You know, if there is a magical essence to some of those things, then what came through them? Um, I was given a bracelet by a friend of Kristen's, and it has um, citrine and... I think this is maybe lapis or something. Um, and Kristen uh, uh, got one as well, different stones. And the stones were charged, quote-unquote, um, in a couple different manners. And, of course, there's meaning to the different elements, the different uh, minerals that were used, like citrine always re um, very often refers to property and abundance or prosperity and abundance and those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, you could look at it and say, it's a freaking yellow rock, you know, <laughs> like holding a chunk of citrine in your hand or having some citrine beads on a bracelet around your wrist isn't going to make you any more money than what you currently have. And you may be right, but, you may also be wrong. 
you know, the reality is, again, that there are qualities about rocks and minerals, about certain locations on our planet that we can't explain. It's one of the reasons why I enjoy this show, to try to explain them. Um, and so, do I personally believe that wearing a bracelet with citrine on my left hand is going to uh, have an, a, a positive effect for me making more money in my business? I have no proof to the otherwise, you know, to say that it doesn't work. So why not? You know, why not? Now, here's one thing that I can tell you this is slightly off topic, but not really. We're talking about fantasy here, quote unquote. Um, what if, and this is just something that popped into my head and it's an, an aside, but I'm going to share it. What if our understanding of the properties of certain types of um, quartz and minerals and things like that, what if the knowledge of those properties came from some of these fantasy creatures? Like where the knowledge had to come from somewhere, right? Um, especially a lot of the more esoteric kinds of um, beliefs that are out there, or and many of those which are now being verified by science. Um, you know, uh, there was one time before we really knew and understood anything about electromagnetism that, you know, weird shit's going on and we can't explain it, you know? Uh, and now we can point, oh, yeah, that's just because of electromagnetism. Um, but there was a time where we didn't know. You know, there was a time where quartz was just a rock. A pretty rock, perhaps, but a rock nonetheless, until somebody figured out that it could be tunable to bring in certain frequencies that we could use in a transmitter to get, you know, radio. Uh, and so there's a lot of stuff like that. Where did the knowledge come from? You know, somebody dream it? Who gave it to you in the dream? You know, had to come from somewhere. You know, because there is no, like, uh, caveman or Neanderthal that was just kind of hanging out after munching on a, you know, a hunk of bison, <laughs> you know, fall asleep in his cave with the fire burning and wake up. And all of a sudden he said, hey, I think that if I carry citrine with me, it's going to bring more abundance. You know, I mean, it seems kind of ridiculous when you put it that way. But yet, here's, um, here's another interesting thing. Um, whenever you dig into, like, Cherokee myths, I'm very familiar with some of those. Um, there is a story about um, a meeting that took place between the animals and this is a very very loose paraphrase okay um but there was a meeting that took place between the animals and the animals decided that they'd had enough with you know being hunted and killed and eaten and all that kind of stuff so they got together and said you know what we are going to create disease and afflict men with it because we're tired of being killed all the time by them. So we're just going to create diseases to inflict upon mankind as punishment for them killing us. And um, everyone agreed, all the animals agreed, but there were some plant people there, plants. And the plant people spoke up. And said, if you're going to do this to mankind, we would like to ask permission to provide medicine for the diseases that you create. And the animals thought about it and said, okay, yeah, that's fine. And so the plant people got together to create cures for the diseases that the animal people, the animals, uh, decided to inflict on humans. The uh, plants had a problem, however, 
because, you know, they don't normally talk or whatever the case may be. And so whenever the humans started getting sick, they had to communicate these cures somehow. And what they decided to do was communicate the cures through the plants uh, using dreams. And so the medicine men would have dreams of using a certain kind of plant or a, a, a couple plants together to form like a poultice or a, uh, a drink or whatever the case may be to help counter some of these diseases. Now, you could say, first of all, there was no gathering of animals to take on humans using disease and plants don't talk. So they sure as hell didn't get together and decide, you know, to provide cures. And that it's just a nice story to explain why a lot of our medicine is plant-based and why a lot of diseases seem to be attached to animals. But once again, what's fantasy and what's real? You know, you could argue all day long that plants can't talk and they don't have consciousness and all those kinds of things. Yet, as a kid, I did experiments on plants and they sure as hell knew something. They were responding to, they could visually recognize people or somehow, I can't say visually, but, you know, some of the experiments that, that, they, that we did with plants, they definitely reacted uh, negatively to people who were causing problems for them, like cutting their leaves off or putting fire near them or whatever. Uh, and they would respond positively to people who were watering them and feeding them and so on. And you could see it. I mean, we documented it and others have as well. And so, um, is there something to that or isn't there, you know, did the plants really get together and decide to help us out or not? Did the animals really get together and try to rise up against us to keep from killing them or not? I wasn't there, you know, which I'm not saying is a cop-out, um, but I wasn't. I wasn't there at those meetings, so I can't say one way or the, the other, but yet there is some extenuating proof that could point to that reality. Whenever you remove our skepticism and open ourselves to the possibility what if we're wrong on a lot of this stuff? And what if these fantasy creatures really do exist? What purpose do they really serve? And are they just an extension of us? And that's probably the, the cooler, bigger piece of the puzzle about fantasy creatures. You know, are they a reflection of us in some form or another? Do they actually exist in reality or not? Because we need them to exist. Because they are us in one form or another. It's not a big stretch to see how monsters could be a reflection of darkness that we hold within us. Any more than a magical creature um, could be a reflection of us from... Uh, a powerful positive perspective. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me take a quick drink of water here. Because we, you know, probably all of us have heard stories about people that have done superhuman things that are really unexplainable. How did he do them? You know, I mean, I've had a few experiences in my lifetime of bizarre stuff. Um, like that one, uh, I think a lot of which I probably shared at one time or another, one of these shows, like the time when I was driving down the road, um, a mile from here with my daughter, Courtney, and we were on our way home and somebody slammed on their brakes in front of us. And, uh, we both cringed it cause it was impossible for us to stop in time. Like we were just waiting for the crash. And all of a sudden, we're a quarter of a mile down the road, past them. And what happened? You know, like 
we it was impossible for us to miss them. Like they're going 30 miles an hour, slam on their brakes, we're 10 feet behind them. You do not get around them. You smash into them. But yet we somehow went through them. Don't know how. Can't explain it even today, even though it happened probably seven or eight years ago. Uh, so, you know, just too much drugs, which I don't take drugs, but, you know, or was it just a fluke or was it angels looking out for me? Um, or are there mystical, magical things that we can't really explain? Um, so that's my spiel. Um, what do dragons represent to us? You know, I mean, personally, I believe chances are very, very likely that dragons did indeed exist. Whether they still do today, who knows? I, one thing I do know is that as humans, um, we tend to destroy. We tend to destroy things. Um, one of the lines from the uh, first Matrix movie has always, from the time I saw that movie the first time, always stood out to me. And that was when um, uh, Agent Smith was uh, interviewing um, oh, I can't think of the character now. Not Neo. Um, the name will come to me. But anyway, so he has him tied up and everything. And uh, he's He's basically trying to get him to give up, you know, this valuable code that would enable the uh, computer simulations, Agent Smith and all of them, to access the, uh, the city where the humans lived. And, of course, um, he wasn't giving it up or anything. And so he started telling a story about humans and um he talked about them from the perspective of a virus and he said humanity is like a virus you know it moves into a new area consumes everything that it had that's in that area and then it moves in the one to another um into another area and does the same thing consumes all the resources and so on and so forth and that may or may not be true um probably more may be true than may not be true <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of proof to that end. Um, but uh, one of the things that we've often seen, you know, is, you know, you have uh, endangered animals that are constantly uh, just going away. You know, uh, at one time, maybe 100 years ago, there were tens or hundreds or thousands of a certain animal or a certain type of bird, or maybe even more than that. And now there are none. Um, same with like woolly mammoths and cave bears and those kinds of things that lived, you know, as recent as a couple hundred thousand years ago. And we know for a fact that they existed because, you know, they've been found in Russia and the frozen tundra and all kinds of stuff like that. So we have physical proof that they really existed, but there's none on the planet today unless, you know, they successfully cloned some of them, which they're trying. Um, because we wiped them out, you know, we wiped them out. So who's not to say that, you know, sometime in the distant past of humanity, we didn't hunt down and completely destroy all the dragons or that we didn't somehow hunt down and destroy all the leprechauns or the fairies or the trolls or whatever the case may be. Who's to say that that didn't happen? We weren't there, you and I. Um, but it's believable. It's a believable argument because that's what humanity tends to do. <laughs> At least the un unevolved version of humanity, we'll put it that way. Um, and so for me, I, 
I think that these fantasy creatures, whoever they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, still need to be a part and still will be a part of the human experience for any number of reasons, because they really did exist or because they represent a part of us or because using them to tell our allegories helps bring the point home in an interesting context that children can relate to or, you know, some other reason. But for me, I find them extremely fun (laughs) in a lot of different ways. Because who's to say, you know, a thousand, two thousand years from now, you know, maybe I'll be one of those creatures (laughs) that will be seen as fantasy, but never really having existed. Uh, Who knows? Um, (laughs) I think that would be funny as hell. Uh, You know, fast forward a thousand or two thousand years into the future and there's these stories being told to children about this guy, (laughs) you know. Except I won't be just a regular guy. I'll be like this, I don't know, bald-headed freak show thing, maybe. Or, you know, maybe my skin will glow, and every time I speak, it'll be like angel singing. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I'm sure that will never happen. But anyway, um, it's fun to think about, you know. Uh, And the reason why I really love it, and of course, archetypes, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, certainly play into it as well, you know, because I see some of the archetypes as an extension of fantasy creatures and vice versa, like the flip side as well. So like, uh, here's a really good example. And then I want to take some comments and questions. Um, like, uh, going back to trickster. So trickster is definitely an archetype. Uh, it's one of the, Um, more well-known archetypes that exist. But normally when we think of trickster, we think of, um, depending on your culture, uh, we may think of ravens. We may think of uh, coyotes. Um, If you're, you know, a Southwest tribe, might be coyote. Um, It could be a rabbit. Um, It could be any number of things. Um, I mean, Bugs Bunny was certainly an extension of the trickster uh, character. And, uh, of course, Bugs Bunny didn't really exist, just FYI. (laughs) At least as far as we know. Uh, But anyway, so trickster being uh, an archetype that we can relate to, but yet personified in these animals takes an ordinary animal that we would recognize as a coyote and turns it into a fantasy creature. Because by saying that a coyote or a rabbit or a raven is a trickster character, we are uh, applying uh, a level of consciousness to them that they are doing what they do in a very deliberate manner against us, which may or may not be the case. But again, as humans, we tend to apply our own traits to anything and everything. You know, it's called anthropomorphism, where we apply human traits and qualities to non-human objects, creatures, animals, whatever the case may be. Um, and sometimes that's fun. Sometimes it creates problems. Um, but you know, we tend to do that. So from that perspective, the argument could be made in some cases with fantasy creatures or, you know, the, especially ones that we can very easily link to archetypes that we're just projecting ourselves onto those characters to justify our own actions or to help us understand ourselves in a better way or to shirk responsibility and place blame on something else. So we don't have to take responsibility for our own actions. I mean, it could be that too. Um, but I don't know for me, I'm just going to enjoy them for what they are. And, uh, you know, if I ever get further insights into any of it, 
or if any of them show up here at the house, you can rest assured that we will extend this conversation even further. Uh, so let me uh, take some comments and questions here. Tony says, bit early for Santa Claus, Tony. And I'm like, it's never too early for Santa Claus. I think every day should be Christmas. I just had Christmas, or Christmas. Kristen watched Nightmare Before Christmas last weekend. <clears throat> she had never seen it, which, you know, you can pretty much say that about any movie um, that has ever been produced. But she is catching up on uh, culturally significant movies or maybe even not so significant. Um, so we watched Nightmare Before Christmas because, well, there's a lot of really cool toys coming out now around that and some of which we saw in our stores. And uh, so I wanted to give her some frame of reference for those toys. So, I mean, honestly, I find it intriguing. I think for that movie, if you've ever seen it, the characters themselves are more intriguing and really support a lot of our discussion today, um, more so than the quality of the movie itself. It's a stop-motion movie. Um, the movie itself is okay, but the characters are really are what I find fascinating. Uh, but anyway, so it's never too early for Santa Claus, or Tinkerbell for that matter. Yeah, Kathleen really puts it in a in a good way here. Um, uh, she says people experience things, spirits from other planes of existence according to the framework of their own culture. So, the same spirit might be perceived many different ways. Unfortunately, our culture is very literal minded and thinks everything must be either literally true or fantasy. I agree, a hundred percent. Um, in some other cultures, it's understood that all these fantasy beings are real, but are perceived or experienced in metaphors according to your own culture. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary of where I stand with it all. Um, because even though you see like certain types of fantasy creatures, um, the context is certainly different culture to culture, but yet um, whenever you really break down um, uh, the the qualities of those characters like little people, as I was sharing earlier, you find a lot of similar traits. And, uh, and these are about fantasy creatures that, you know, one culture to another, those cultures perhaps have never met. Uh, but yet those, and so those stories developed independently, those beliefs developed independently, but yet here they are the same, uh, at the core, which is one of the reasons why it really led me back to archetypes because, you know, um, we see the same thing with archetypes. Uh, Tony says the burning bush story from the Bible happened in oil country. Oil fumes could explain why the bush itself wasn't burning. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great examples. And so it isn't to dismiss um, stories in the Bible is not true uh, any more than it is to dismiss, you know, um, stories in uh, myth or legends or those kinds of things. Uh, Tony asks, if you could travel back in time to verify some of our alleged history, would you do it? And to which period? That's a really great question. Um, and it would be really hard for me to decide on just one. Um, I've often joked that, you know, whenever I die and, and get to heaven, whatever that looks like, cause I haven't been there. Um, I really hope they have a good video rental service because there's a whole lot of history that I'd love to watch uh, just to see it. Unless, you know, whenever we cross over to that plane of vibration, we automatically know that stuff, which 
could be the case too. Who knows? Um, but I think probably for me, I would want to actually see what really went on back in the time of the dinosaurs. Because while I love the Jurassic Park movies and I think they're awesome, I think there's probably about as much truth in them as, you know, there is in your average Bugs Bunny Marvin Martian cartoon. <laughs> um, so I'd be really curious to see what life was really like back then and, and who and what was really there. Besides, you know, a bunch of big old T-Rexes and stuff. <laughs> Kathleen says, because our society is so literally minded, without the scientific method, that way... Uh, lies insanity. I know people who believe that anything they imagine is real, period. Once you get to know them, that is scary crazy. Primal cultures provide a framework, at least, to generally keep people from going completely off the deep end. Yeah, there has to be uh, a framework of some sort or another, because um, it really... Um, Well, you really can go off the deep end. We have uh, a very powerful tool at our disposal that uh, is known as our brain, um, our creativity and imagination. And left unchecked, it can really, it really can create stuff that isn't reality at all. Um, we believe that it is. And perhaps some could argue that's one of the reasons why, you know, psychotropic drugs are fun. But just because you see weird stuff on a high doesn't mean that it's real. But uh, we don't even need drugs to experience that sometimes. Uh, Chris says, Morpheus. Yes, that's it. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name, but Morpheus, yes. Um, and Kathleen says the concepts behind Asian dragons versus European dragons um, seem to spring from different sources, impulses, attitudes. Um, I love the wise, mystical Asian dragons, a fun fictional book, uh, Tea with the Black Dragon uh, by R.A. McAvoy. Looks like a fun read. Yeah, Tony brings up a good question. Um, he says, uh, we knew little of gas or electric until the 1900s, but we are aware of them. We are also aware of ESP and the work of clairvoyance. Will we ever get to know how everyone can use them properly? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> William says, uh, what would my fantasy Tony look like and have for superpowers. Hard to know, man. <laughs> Hard to know. Mark says... Uh, citrine, amethyst, and rose quartz are all quartz with trace elements present in the solution that form the crystal, giving them the coloration. Iron and manganese are mostly responsible. Citrine can be simulated by heating low-color amethyst, which affects the iron to turn to yellow, but it does not exhibit the same light-refracting properties. And, of course, dragons existed. The dinos had millions of years to evolve, just by the law of averages. A smart one or two had to have popped up. Uh, what is a dragon if not a smart dinosaur? Uh, if they were really above the curve, like uh, they likely were uh, very lonely. Yeah, chances are. I think, you know, um, 
I think part of it is that perhaps we need them to be fantasy. You know, we need these characters to be fantasy characters. Um, rather than just like, imagine if we all of a sudden discovered the truth about all of it. Like if some magical download happened right now and all of a sudden we knew the truth about all of it. We knew the source about all of it and everything. We knew where dragons came from or if they really did exist, whether Bigfoot really exists, whether fairies really existed or whatever. Like imagine if we all of a sudden knew those answers. Can you imagine how it would affect us? I don't think it would be a positive thing. I don't think, you know, if, if anything, I think it would have a very negative effect on us. Like, we need to believe some of this stuff. Um, not necessarily making it real for real sake or for reality's sake, but um, it adds a level of something to we as humans that... Um, I don't know. It's just part of what makes us who we are. It it feeds our creativity. It feeds our art, our music, our movies, all of that. Um, fantasy creatures feed all of that. And even small children can immediately relate to and connect to those things. And so there is definitely something about it that is seems to be instinctively tied to us. My bigger curiosity would be uh, based on an argument that, um, that there are thousands of different types of alien beings across the galaxy and universe. What is their mythos? Like what are their fantasy creatures? Um, I'd love to know that one <laughs> might freak us the hell out. I don't know, but you know, it, it would be interesting nonetheless. Uh, Kathleen says in some cultures, people speak mostly in metaphors. So when translated into English, their account of things sound like fantasy in their own language. Everyone understands the metaphors uh, as just the way people talk. Yeah, um, one of the studies that I did years ago was um, uh, there are different languages around the world, uh, some of which are no longer used, but um, where the languages are uh, verb-based. And so the worldview that they have is all verb-based. And because of that, how they perceive the world around them is much different than how we perceive the world around us. And so it definitely gives way to metaphors. Like for instance, an example that I often use is, um, we see like, let's say that there's a horse in the field. We say there is a horse in the field or a horse running in the field. Okay. Um, from a verb based language perspective, you have, it isn't horse as a noun. It is horse as a verb because it's living, it's active, it's constantly changing. So it's having a horsing experience. So you have this horse experience interacting with a living field moving through it. Um, and so everything is active and changing. And if you think about it, that really is the reality of everything because we're all constantly changing because we're living uh and at the very minimum you even a rock we say oh well, a rock isn't living well if everything is made up of atoms and atoms are constantly moving the argument could be made when you boil everything life non-life quote unquote all down to its core it's all living because it's all electrons it's all you know it's all movement that's happening and so because of that, um, I really appreciate you sharing that, Kathleen, because it's absolutely right where uh, the context is so radically different that it does sound like fantasy. But in reality, they're just their uh, worldview is different from ours because we tend to think noun, verb, noun, and perhaps they are just thinking in verbs. 
um, which seem would seem really foreign to us because we're very number now. Um, so yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, and Mark says, uh, creating a fantasy creature in a story based on a real creature encounter, giving it properties that push the story in its point, the more off the wall, the better, the more off the wall, the better and more memorable, memorable, the story in its point. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, Steve says, I have a near complete set of the very first release of the Nightmare Before Christmas toy set from 1993. Still in original packaging. Please advise if interested. <coughs> I'd be interested in seeing pictures of that at the very least. Um, and he asked, uh, did you ever see the fire breathing dragon movie Reign of Fire? I did. Yeah, very interesting movie. So anyway, another uh, interesting discussion, I think. <laughs> but I really appreciate everyone's uh, comments and feedback and everything because you all make the discussion that much more fun and interesting. I always learn stuff. Um, if nothing else, just a different way of thinking about things, which I appreciate. So um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and your week. And um, we'll get together here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern. And head off on some other rabbit trail. Who knows what it'll be. So we'll see everyone.